fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul Heather Dog Ninja Hey guys, welcome to episode 295 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. I need a little more enthusiasm out of you, And man. I am Tracy. Woohoo! All right, How's so... <laughs> what? What? Anyways, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you, all of you. All of you men, women, and service animals for everything you do every day. Yes, thank you guys so much. Guys are in our prayers, especially all our military um, over in Ukraine and all those good places. Just pray for you guys and hope you stay safe and hopefully this crap will end soon and you can come home. But thank you for protecting us. All right, Tracy. It's, uh, you know, it's we, we say this over and over, but all you got to do is turn on the news for three minutes and it's so depressing with everything that's going on it's like there's hardly any positive that ever gets reported it's all negative stuff and you whether you're on social media or watching the news or whatever the case is you're just surrounded by negativity so it's not surprising that there are a lot of people that are struggling right now when it comes to the mental aspects of things no that's very true so obviously we want to let people know that there are options out there other than um you know trying to harm yourself or even getting close to that point, you can reach out to somebody, friends, family members. If you feel like you don't have any friends or family members that would understand or or that you just don't feel comfortable talking about certain subjects with, then you can always contact myself or Tracy. And, uh, of course, we've got our group that's 5,500 strong now. Yes, that's amazing. People from all over the world, all different time zones. It doesn't matter what time you need to talk. There are several people willing to talk to you at any time. Feel free to join the group if you haven't already, but also feel free to post whatever you want. That's a judgment-free zone in there. Of course it is. That's why we have this group. So you guys can, you know, feel free to message us, open up, you know, just need to vent whatever the need might be. Um, like Jerry said, you we can uh, give you our cell phone numbers if you'd like to call us. Um, if you would not, you know, want to do that, you'd rather call the 800 number. It's 1-800-273-8255. You can also text at 741-741. We'll always be there for you guys, so please reach out. Tracy, also tonight, we've got Shannon Rogers on the show. Awesome. Shannon was on the very first episode of Eli Roth's a ghost ruined my life. Yeah. And she's got some things to say, trust me, about how the show was done. She wasn't, let's just say she wasn't completely happy oh. with the way it turned out. She felt there was some disrespectful things taken by the crew. 
oh, of the show. Well, that's not and cool. Trust me, I, I agree with her 100 percent after hearing it. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're gonna we we get into it, and she didn't hold any bones. Shannon is an absolute sweetheart, and of course, you heard Candace Weston this past Monday. She was on our show. She was on the second episode. Okay, great. Of that so really cool. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll listen to Shannon uh, a little later in the show. Sounds great. All right, Tracy, we have covered a few stories in the past on, I guess we'll say, premonitions. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, we actually did an entire episode on it, I believe. But I know we've covered other odds and ends just throughout as uh, just traditional stories on whatever subject we were talking about. But those of you, though, that may not be familiar with the term premonition... It's basically where someone has a dream or a vision of something that's going to happen in the future. Now, we've all probably seen the movie Final Destination. Mm-hmm. That movie still haunts me to this day. <laughs> in that movie, there was a high school student that had a dream of a plane exploding full of his classmates that were all bound for Europe. Now, that would classify, obviously, as a premonition. Mm-hmm. I do want to say not all premonitions are bad, like in that. They're not all disastrous. Correct. You know, so, of course, there's two parts to a premonition. The first part is the vision, and the second part is it actually coming true. Otherwise, it's just a dream. That's that's correct. These premonitions could be catastrophic, such as a plane crash or something like uh, maybe... A vision of the death of a family member. That that could all classify, obviously, as, as premonitions. But there could also be premonitions of good things, such as winning the lottery. Yeah. And we're going to talk about some different premonitions through here that have a little bit of everything involved. Okay. Excited to hear this. The first story is a little different than most uh, of what we would consider to be a premonition. Because, as we said, typically a premonition is a vision that then comes true. But what about a vision that has already happened, but the person who had it, had the, the vision, didn't know about the the subject that they had the vision of? You feel me? Uh, yeah. Well, you will after we get through with this. Okay. Most consider... This type of thing may be a residual haunting. You'll hear about people that'll go up to Gettysburg and they'll see like a battle taking place on a field out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. That would be a residual haunting. Or some people call it the stone tape theory to where you see an event that's happened play over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I can see why some people would say the story we're getting ready to talk about could be that. And, and I'm kind of with you on that. But... This story is a little different in the fact that, I don't know, I, well, you'll see why it's different, but it's got to do with the timing, I think. Okay. But I, if somebody says, hey, that's not a premonition, I get it, and I, and I wouldn't dispute it, but it's a cool enough story where I wanted to tell it anyway. I still think it fits for the episode. August 27th, 1941. Pat and Larry Hayes have been under a lot of stress because... Larry had started his own company just a year earlier. And you know how that can be. You start in your own business and things can be a little rough financially while Mm -hmm. you're getting everything started. And that's the kind of problems they had. So it was stressful on the entire family. They had a couple of of, uh, 
older children. They were, you know, teenagers, roughly. Now, even though they really couldn't afford a trip, they decided to take a camping trip to the mountains just to kind of stress-free a little bit, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, release a little stress. Good for yourself. To save a little bit of money, they borrowed a small camper from a friend of theirs. Larry had to work late uh, the night that they were going to leave, so around 10 p.m., Pat was rearranging some stuff in the trunk uh, so she could add some extra bedding and stuff. Now, Pat was going to drive from Columbia, South Carolina, to Charlotte, North Carolina, and then Larry said he would take over and drive the rest of the way to Statesville, North Carolina. And apparently Statesville wasn't too far from Pat's mother's house, so I guess maybe that's part of the reason that they drove out to there. Oh, okay. So they stop in Charlotte to get gas, and by this time, the the kids in the back, they're already out. Oh, I'm sure. So the gas station attendant noticed that one of the tires was extremely low, so they aired it up. Pat decided as they leave the gas station, to go ahead and take a little nap while Larry's driving. You know, she's done her share. So Larry was quietly driving along, and he felt the steering wheel suddenly jerk and twist between his hand. Like he might have hit something, or? Well, he realized that the tire had blown out on the car. I guess <gasps> oh, the same no. one Shoot. they were having problems with. So it was on the car, not the camper. Yeah, it was on the car. Okay. So it blows out, and the car starts to veer toward the other side of the road. The weight of the camper was actually making it really hard to control the car. Oh, gosh, I'm sure. But he, Larry somehow managed to get the car over to the shoulder of the road and get it stopped. Now, this obviously woke everyone in the car up. I mean, how scary is that? Yeah, it would Especially be when you're, you know, tugging a camper behind you that well, you're not was, used to. This was 1946, did I say? So I'm pretty sure that car didn't have uh, power Probably steering. Power steering, yeah. Pat and Larry get out to change the, the tire, but as they open the trunk and dig through... Oh, don't tell me there's not a spare. No, there was a spare. Okay. There was no jack. <gasps> oh, no. Pat remembered that she removed the jack when she was rearranging all the stuff in the trunk, and she forgot to put it back. So Way the, to go! So the, so the jack was sitting at home <sighs> in their garage. So Larry remembered seeing a kind of a country store that was right before the blowout happened. This is right around 2.30 a.m. And he didn't think that the store would be open by any means, but he thought he saw a light on in the back, so he thought maybe the owner lives on the premises. Mm-hmm. So he tells Pat, you know, I'll go ahead and, and walk back and I'll try to get us some help. Pat stayed there with the kids, obviously. So Pat sat there. She was wide awake in the car. And she was just anxiously awaiting for Larry to return, hopefully with help. It's almost 3 a.m. now. Larry's been gone about a half an hour. She hears the whistle of a train off in the distance. Then she could see a light appear. It was about no bigger than a pinpoint. Mm -hmm. She watched as it got closer and closer. Now it's about 200 yards away, and she could see it's the headlight from the engine of a train. She could see all the train cars quite clearly. The train had just started to cross the bridge and reached the middle of the bridge when there was a thunderous jerk. She watched in terror as the engine and several cars left the track and plunged into the water below the bridge. Like, like was it cars with people in it? 
Or just some, they were just hauling something? No, I think some of them had people. Oh. I think it was more of a passenger train. She heard crashing sounds as wood and metal smashed against each other. The sound of screams filled her ears. Men and women's voices pleaded for help. So Pat jumps out of her car. She ran into the direction of the screams. Once she reached the bank of the stream, she looked down at a sickening sight. The engine, coaches, and Pullman cars were in a huge pile of debris in the creek. It completely dammed up the creek. Therefore, the water started rising and pouring into broken windows of the cars. Oh, gosh. People were being pulled out of the windows by others who had already made it out. Mm -hmm. Others were trying to swim towards the bank. Amidst all of this, screams and the moans, Pat didn't realize that there was someone standing right next to her. He was dressed in a railroad uh, uniform. He looked extremely white, and why wouldn't he be after what he had just been through? The man asked, can you give me the time, ma'am? She, He said, I would like to check my watch and see if it's running properly. Okay, well, that's what I would be concerned about. He was gazing down at a large gold pocket watch, and, and Pat said it was just like the one her grandpa used to show her when she was a little girl. Mm-hmm. Pat replied that it was five minutes past three. Pat told him that she wished she could go for help, but the car was actually broke down and she could go get help when her husband got back. So the man looked down at her strangely, but he didn't say a word. Then his face started to blur. Pat assumed that she was getting ready to faint. That's why his face was Mm -hmm. blurred. She then was startled by the slam of a car door. It was Larry and another man. She ran to them talking about a terrible train wreck. The three ran in the direction of the, the, the wreck that she had pointed out. And they had their flashlights and they started shining down on a creek bed. And there was nothing there. <gasps> Absolutely what? nothing. Pat insisted and gave all the details of what she had just seen. Larry told her that she probably had just fell asleep while he was gone. And it was a very vivid dream. But she just said, look. That's not the deal. I promise you, this is what I saw. I said, well, basically, I don't know what to tell you because we're looking and there's nothing there. So the gentleman helped them fix the the tire and the family was back on the road. Pat kept pleading with Larry about what she saw. So Larry finally agreed that they would go to the train station the next morning and report what she saw. And they would even go out and check the scene again of the supposed crash if it would make Pat feel better. I guess he figured he was never going to get... Get hear the end of it. Yeah, right. The following morning, the two went to the train station. The old man at the counter listened to Pat's story. He then said that there had been no train wreck at all the night before. In fact, there hadn't been a, a wreck in that stretch of the track for several years, not since the wreck of 1891. He went on to say that his father used to talk about that wreck, the wreck of 1891, all the time. It was the worst train wreck to ever happen in the state of North Carolina. He said it had left from Salisbury. It was headed for Asheville. And it got to the Boston Bridge about 3 a.m. in the morning. 
They say that the engine and a coach just plunged into the stream 90 feet below. His father had gotten out there as quick as he possibly could. It was his job to go out there and help. Mm-hmm. And he said there were people climbing out of the uh, the windows and crying for help. But what made it worse was that the cars dammed up the stream, making the water rise, so several people drowned. He then said that he thinks that there's a newspaper clipping in one of the desk drawers. So he searched around a little bit, and he found a scrapbook with clippings from all kinds of different stories throughout the years. And he flips around, and he finds this little yellowed clipping from the Charlotte Observer. He said, here it is. August 28th, 1891. It's headlined, Hurled to Death, 30 Killed, Many Injured, at 3 o'clock in the morning, Bridge near Statesville, the scene of the wreck. He then said, you know, a baggage master named H. Key Linster was killed in that wreck. He used to chat with my father all the time at stops. He would always ask if he had the time so he could make sure his uh, gold watch was working correctly. Oh, my gosh. The old man said, yep, it must have been a horrible sight. Well, Pat became dizzy and she kind of held onto the edge of the desk and she closed her eyes. But that might have been worse than just keeping her eyes open because then she could see the scene all over again. She could hear the screams. She could see the the trains uh, down in the the cars mm-hmm. down in the water, and 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 the just flying through the air on the way down. So the station master, the old man there, said, "Lady, are you all right?" He said, "I didn't mean to upset you. Hell, that wreck was not, uh, fifty years ago. As a matter of fact, fifty years ago last night." <gasps> oh my gosh! So what she saw was at the time that it happened exactly 50 years earlier. Because remember, she told the man it was 3.05. Yeah, yeah. That is really crazy. So, like I said, that's that's not the the typical premonition, but considering she didn't know anything about it. Right. How, oh my gosh. And, and she, she had was so there many the, details. Yes. You know, and apparently nobody else is reporting seeing that, so... They just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Right. So that's why I think maybe it was a one-time thing. And right. Not necessarily. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's not a typical premonition where she saw it and it happened. She saw exactly what happened, but it was something that happened 50 years earlier. I wonder if there's a picture of the guy she was talking to. Oh, I don't anywhere. know. Oh my goodness. That's pretty amazing. I thought so. But it's awful at the same time to have to witness something like that and it'd be so dang real. Wow. That's cool. You know, it reminds me, even though it wasn't a premonition, it reminds me there was a story over in Great Britain not too long ago. And we've talked about it on the show. I probably talked about it a couple of times. But it was where the car was driving down the freeway. I think this was in 2007. It was driving down uh, one of their their, uh, main roads up there. And they saw a car veer off and go straight down an embankment. Mm -hmm. So they called the police. And the police came, and they didn't see any signs that a car had went off there. But they went down there and searched anyway. But what they found was a car that had went off there, like maybe a year earlier or something. But it was like it was already covered over with the overgrowth and stuff like that. But they found the body and all that. So that didn't went over there, and nobody knew about it. But it was they saw this car go off, but there was wow. no signs of a new one. So it was like they were seeing a replay 
Wow. Like the driver of that car somehow was letting known that, that he was down there. That's incredible. Tracy, we can't talk about premonitions without talking about Nostradamus. Ugh, that dude is on <laughs> another level. These aren't really detailed stories, but they don't need to be to get the point across for these. So we're going to talk about two of his stories. Or I guess we should say premonitions. The first is going to be the Great Fire of London. Now that fire swept through the central part of London from Sunday, September 2nd to Thursday, September 6th, ninth, or, uh, I'm sorry, 1666. 1666. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> the fire gutted parts of the city that were inside the Roman city wall at the time. Now, there's some controversy over the death toll. It said that there were only six people who died during that great fire. But historians believe that that number is completely false, and it was actually a whole lot more than that. Well, I was going to say, that's a pretty low number for something that tragic. Yeah, I don't know why they think there's a big, or why there's a big discrepancy, mm -hmm. or why people think, but six is all that's listed. So, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's believed that the fire started in a bakery shortly after midnight on September 2nd, and it spread rapidly. Now, here's an interesting fact for you. The main technique of firefighting back during this time, it was not using water. It was by making what was called fire breaks. So basically, they would demolish a building or part of a building, causing a gap so that the fire couldn't spread to a closer building. Oh, that's kind of pretty good, right? I guess. I mean... They probably didn't have access to for pumps and stuff to be able to get the water there, so they had to have something else, mm -hmm. I would think. So if you had like three buildings really close to each other and one of them was on fire, they would knock the middle one out, hoping that it wouldn't reach. Yeah. Or maybe knock two of them out, thinking, well, that's as far as it can spread, so it's right. going to stop on its own. That's pretty good thinking. So anyways, back in Nostradamus's time, he wrote a book, his first book anyway, and... It was in 1955. The book was called A Prophecies. It's actually The Prophecies, if you put it in English. But mm -hmm. That was his first book, 1555. That was 111 years before the Great Fire of London. He said, these two lines appear. He said, the blood of the just will be demanded of London, bed by the fire of 66. How in the whole entire nation could the, he know that? And the fire happened in 1666, and it was in London, and he mentioned London by name. Man, that is really wild. Here's the next prophecy of Nostradamus that we're going to talk about. It sounds eerily like the attacks of 9-11. Now, obviously, we know that two planes were flown into the Twin Towers in New York City, September 11th, 2001. Those towers would eventually collapse and almost 3,000 people died in this attack. So what did Nostradamus say back in the 1500s? I don't know. What did he say? You tell me whether this could be interpreted as 9-11 or not. Two steel birds will fall from the sky of the metropolis. The sky will burn at a 45 degree latitude. Fire approaches the great new city. 
Immediately, a huge scattered flame leaps up. Within months, rivers will flow with blood. The undead will run the earth for a little time. So let's break this down a little bit. Two steel birds. Keep in mind, this is the 1500s. There were no planes or skyscrapers back then. Correct. Let alone yeah. know that they would be made out of steel. Right. Some say that the two steel birds that would fall from the sky were the two planes. Mm -hmm. Some say that it's the two skyscrapers that eventually collapsed and fell to the ground. Two steel birds. I don't know why that would be considered a bird, but there were two of them and it did collapse mm -hmm. to the ground, falling technically from the sky. Then you've got the fire approaches the great new city. It happened in New York City. Ooh. Within months, the river will flow with blood. This could be taken as the subsequent war with Iraq. Because right after that, we end up going to war with Iraq. That's what that means, or could mean. But that's that's what a lot of people think that he predicted 9-11 by those phrases. And it's got to, I mean, that to come up with two steel crazy. birds, what else could he even be thinking about? Yeah. Oh, I guess me goosebumps. That's that's whack. Let's end on a happy note. Please. We've all dreamt of winning the lottery. For some, this is actually a reality. There was a waiter by the name of Fatih Oskan. He was a, a waiter in a Turkish restaurant over in uh, England, in York, as a matter of fact. He had a dream, but it wasn't about him winning the lottery. The dream was that his manager at the restaurant won the lottery. He even saw himself counting the money with the manager. So he goes in the next day at work, and he begs his manager to go play the lottery, which his manager rarely ever did. Mm -hmm. So he was like, no, I don't want to. And Fatah just kept saying, dude, go play the lottery. I'm telling you, this dream was so real. What do you got to lose? It took him literally hours. And the manager finally gave in. The two of them went to a supermarket and they bought the tickets. Lo and behold, the tickets that night won. Oh my gosh. It paid $1.7 million. But manager said that he bought the ticket, so it was all his. Oh, what a douche. <laughs> Fatih took him to court. His attorney actually showed surveillance footage of both of them at the store and both actively participating in picking the numbers. The judge eventually ruled in his favor and he or ordered the money to be split 50-50. Good. You gotta have some balls. Mm-hmm. To have somebody make you play the lottery, win that much money, and then not even want to give them any of it. Yeah, that's terrible. All right. Last one. Mary Sanderson, she is in Manchester, uh, New Hampshire, in the United States. She had a dream that she had played the lottery, but it was even more specific. She had the exact numbers, including... The Powerball number, which was 20 at the time, but she had all these numbers. 
She wakes up the next morning. These numbers were still fresh in her head, and she writes them down on a dry erase board. She then goes and plays the numbers. She won the jackpot that night, $66 million. Wow. You go, girl. She then quit her job the very next day, and her husband decided that he was going to keep his job. He was a printer, but he also used to, uh, was a wrestler for charity events. Oh, okay. That's and he nice. decided that he was still going to continue to do that mm-hmm. in the upcoming years. Well, that's so nice. I would say, I don't want to hurt my body. I'll just donate money. We've got it now. Oh, well, that's true. But I mean, if it was for more, you know, for the kids or something or whatever, it might have meant more to him, you know, for the kids. That's so amazing. Why the heck can we have dreams like that? Mine are all horrible dreams. <laughs> Mine are like terrible dreams. Well, if they don't come true, your lottery dream wouldn't come true either. Well, that's very true. So I guess I should be happy that they don't come true. All right, Tracy, that's tonight's show. We're going to take a quick sponsor break. All righty. And then we'll talk a little bit about some upcoming events, including the Louisville show. And then we'll listen to Shannon Rogers. So we'll be back in just a second. All right, guys. The show in Louisville is rapidly approaching. We're just a little over a month away. It is April 23rd. It is us, Ohio, and Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances. This show is going to be a blast. Get your tickets now because they're selling out quick. I wouldn't wouldn't waste a lot of time. This show is going to go on, trust me. So if there's any concerns about covid or any of that stuff we'll take the proper you know uh, approach to make sure that we've got hand sanitizer and stuff like that if anybody wants it and we'll uh that place is extremely clean if you came to the show last year they they, they do a great job of keeping that place sanitized in between events so um get your tickets for that hillbillyhorrorstories.com you can get the indianapolis tickets for uh what is that july and then we've got the bobby mackey show in october and uh, what else we got? What's the other one? Cruise. The cruise. Yeah, uh, the the West that. Virginia. And the West Virginia, our birthday show. I forget that. <laughs> so, but all those all those shows are there with complete descriptions. You get your tickets there along with any merch that you might want. And the information on the cruise is all there, including the uh, phone numbers to get a hold of the, the guys, Robin and uh, his daughter out of Vacation Experts. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. All right, Tracy, what do you got over there? All right. This week we have Mom101609. Mojo Lobster, Jason B, 007, Sarita, Trace, Trace, Trace Abor. I, I hope I said that right. I'm sorry if I didn't. And then we have S-W-A-R-Q-S-S. We have Donna, Brett from Evil Never Dies Podcast. And this one said Tracy Four as the headline there. And... Jeff Stone Reveal, Brandy Rat 74, and Snackapoo. Thank you guys for your amazing uh, reviews. We appreciate that. And we, you know, keep them coming. Uh, we enjoy reading all of them, even the bad ones. How come you sound like a, um, you sound like a pilot telling people? You know, you're, I don't know. Really, uh, I know. Uh, that you guys are flying United I today. don't know uh, why. Uh, do we know you had several choices? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It's like Quagmire. Uh, oh. Mm-hmm. Giggity. Giggity. All right. And then for our Patreons, we have Bridget Claremont, Sarah C., Jennifer Blanken, and Jason Griggs. Thank you guys so much for your support. We appreciate you guys more than you know. 
You guys are the world to us, and we wouldn't be nothing without you all. So thanks again a million. And if you're not on Patreon, you're missing out on some good stuff because, like, we just did an episode of a of a, of a kind of an it says it's solved, but most people consider it to be an unsolved mystery over in Poland. So it wasn't paranormal, but it was a very cool story with all kinds of unanswered questions. Mm-hmm. But uh, people on Patreon get that. At the $5 level, you get two different bonuses plus six bonuses mm-hmm. that could possibly every week. Yeah. No we, commercials. We put a bunch of stuff out. Yeah. And and all the regular episodes commercial free. Right. Right. And you get that just for a buck. A buck a month. One dollar. But we appreciate you guys, and we love you all so much for hanging with us and supporting us. All right, guys, let's listen to Shannon Rogers. Hey, guys, I am excited. I told you guys I had a list of special guests coming that have been on some of these paranormal television shows. I wish my voice was better for this uh, beautiful special guest, but it is what it is, and everybody's dealing with it. So with that being said, I'd like to bring on Shannon Rogers. Shannon is a paranormal investigator, but she was also on Eli Roth's news show, A Ghost Ruined My Life, and I believe was that the very first episode, Shannon? Yeah, series premiere. Yeah, she was a series premiere. It's an awesome episode. If you haven't seen it yet, I advise you to go check it out. It's it's awesome. And I saw this and I was like, hey, I know Shannon. She's one of my friends on Facebook. (laughs) And we had only talked one time before. There was a uh, uh, young lady that needed some help in your area and a paranormal investigator. And I remember reaching out and you said, hey, I'm in the area. And that's the only time we ever spoke. But it was enough for me to know who you were. So, Shannon, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. So I I had another young lady from the same show on, obviously, Uh Candace Weston, who was on the second episode. And I, I believe you two know each other because you both had very nice things to say about each other. And so it's cool that I got the participants of the very first two episodes of this show. It's a really cool show. And when I saw this, I wanted to reach out to you because I have the same questions for a lot of the people that are on these paranormal reenactment shows. First of all, how did your story become one of the stories that not only made it to the show, but made it to the premiere? Well, I got a message in my messenger one day from Cream Productions, and right off the bat, I was kind of leery (laughs) what kind of casting call it was. (laughs) It's the name, but I I answered it, and, you know, they were asking basically, have you had, you know, basically something so life-traumatizing, you know, happen because of a spirit or a haunting? And I'm like, let me tell you, yes, of course. And I, I told her the story, and you know, through six months of talking and interviews and, you know, video meetings and stuff like that, you know, it it came about. And I mean, it was very raw for me. I cried during the whole dang episode, but (laughs) because it was, you know, it was like, I I had kind of a PTSD from that house that I lived in. And by talking about it for six months to the producers, it was able, a way for me to kind of deal with it and cope with it and process everything. So I think because it ended up on the series premiere because it was so emotional and raw and, and honest and, you know, true to what my emotions were. So yeah, it was kind of, I was so upset. I was like, I cried the whole time. They're going to air that. And they did. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but you know, what was cool about that? Not the emotion was there. And that's obviously, like you said, why they pick it, but your situation was really recent. 
I mean, like in Candace's situation, hers was like 10, 11, 12 years ago. Yours just happened, what, 2019, correct? That's when I first moved into the house. And I moved out at the end of uh, 2020. I was actually there 22 months. They portrayed nine months on the show. But I, it was only a, a couple of months after I moved out that they contacted me. So that's when I first started talking about the experiences. I mean, I had people I was close to that knew the whole time everything was going on. I went on Beth Allen's show to talk about the experiences. And then, so yeah, that was, a, it was very, very recent. I'm not going to ask you to rehash the entire episode because I want people to go watch it. Plus, that's really not what I want you on here. I want to talk about you and what's happened since then. But can you, in a nutshell, for somebody who hasn't watched the episode yet, talk about what the episode was based on and kind of some of the major things that happened to you, you and your family? Okay. I moved into a home. I was subleasing. And it was an older, older home, four bedroom by the lake. And it was only a thousand a month. That's why I made the, you know, gone ahead and moved in, but it was an older home. So there were some adjustments to be made, but, you know, instantly I started feeling that there was a little lady there and then, which was no big deal. And then there was an instant, you know, the situation with the suicide that did not happen in the show. Uh, on the show that they showed, I'm sorry, on the show, they showed the suicide happening in the house. They didn't happen in the house. It happened hours away, but it was associated with the house. So any, anyways, that stirred everything up and it got really crazy. He got thrown out of chairs. My children were being attacked. Um, my daughter's boyfriend, her and her boyfriend moved in and he completely changed and was raging every day, making my daughter cry. And I mean, I was seeing like 30 or 40 shadow figures billowing out of my son's room. And it was just a really crazy, intense situation that I tried to fix. I, I it dove me basically more into the paranormal field because I was already in it and it, you know, trying to fix what was going on there. And it just got to a point after I seen something just so horrific out in my workshop in the backyard that I just moved out that I couldn't do it anymore. So sometimes you just have to go. You can't fix everything. So now in the t television show, because I know sometimes Hollywood takes liberties <laughs> with, <laughs> yes. with some of these things. In the television show, your daughter and her boyfriend or her fiance at the time, I not really can't remember, they move in with you and it had a really negative relation uh, effect on their relationship and on him. How much yes. of that was accurate? That was very accurate. He didn't claw the table like they showed on there, but that was very accurate. It was instant. I just got goosebumps thinking about it. And that's another reason I cried so much during the filming of it is I don't want to cry now. It affected my daughter so bad. It it really did. It emotionally affected her. I mean, he was just so mean to her. I mean, him and I got into it because I, you know, Mama Bear wasn't going to put up with it. And I tried to stay out of it as much as I could, but it was just, it was a horrible, horrible situation. And then when my daughter got, you know, shoved 12 foot down the hallway one day, they didn't come back. She left then and called me at work and let me know she was not coming back. She told me what happened. And she left her makeup bag, everything. That's when she was 20. <laughs> She's prissy. So, I mean, she left everything and they came back a month later to get their stuff. And unfortunately, the relationship ended, I think, well, actually now, fortunately, the relationship ended a couple of months after they moved out. And they had lived together for over a year before they moved in with me. So it was sad to see. Also in the episode, it looked like that, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it looked like at one point you sent your young son away to maybe live with your sister or something. Was that accurate or was that? 
Oh, not to live. I sent my son to my mom's while I tried um, clearing the house, trying to because I didn't want him there. So it was just a matter of like a weekend situation. And my my mom is down the road, kind of thing. So you know, he's theirs on the weekends. <laughs> they already told me like he's mine. Bring him over here. So it's one of those situations. I didn't send him to live, but I didn't want him there when I was trying to go to war, basically. Now, obviously, when they do these these reenactments, they don't do everything exactly the way it was. They've got to they've got to get viewers and all that. Were you happy with the way it turned out overall, or did you have uh, some some regrets afterwards? Um, I wasn't happy to be honest with you. It for one, they put my phone number on the episode, and I've been contacted, putting it lightly, five hundred people at least ever since October. Um, not only that, I mean, just the story about the suicide that affected personal relationships of friends of mine that the suicide happened that pertaining to the house and, you know, friends and stuff. And it was really disrespectful. And some of the things that were changed and like, they showed me levitating in bed. I never levitated in bed, but I, you know, I did get thrown six foot out of a chair. So there were some things that I don't know why they changed, but they did. I mean, there's been some good things that come out of it, but you know, even my daughter, she's kind of like, <laughs> you know, kind of wishes that she didn't do it as well because it, they altered so much of the truth, but you know, there's a positive and everything. There's some good things that came out of it, but I was disappointed. I, I'd be lying if I said otherwise, but the biggest negative effect on me would be people contacting me, getting mad at me because, you know, I'm not doing enough to help them. Well, you got 500 people asking you for help and not only they changed my words. They literally, if the camera wasn't on my mouth, then 90% chance I didn't, they would dub sentences together. We actually, when we were recording, I would have, everybody had to be quiet so they could get the background noises. And they said it was for editing purposes. So they, when I was say, talking about traveling around the country, you know, doing investigations and hosting events, they put it like I was going to travel around the country and helping people, you know, fight their demons. I never said demon in the show. They put demon on there. So. Well, that's yeah, odd. I, I wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> You know, you know, TV, when you've you got Eli Roth and then Zach Vegas behind the network and everything, there's going to be some some things altered for TV drama. But like I said, I'm not really mad about it, but it, it has caused some issues for me. I've had a lot of people wanting to pray the demon out of me, though. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I promise you I'm okay. I appreciate your prayers. I really do. And people still follow with me. I'm still praying for you. I'm like, well, I'll thank you. <laughs> So let me let me bring up something you touched on because uh, I want to make sure I've got an understanding. The person that committed suicide was that somebody that you you knew of or something before then, or did, was that something you found out about after you moved in the home? It happened right after I moved in the home. Okay, so the, the deal of well, how I got into that house was my dearest oldest friend, one of my oldest friends. We've been friends for twenty years. Her and her now husband. They were together living in two different households. They wanted to merge households. Well, he knew if he moved out of the house and moved in with her, that the landlord would go up on the rent like by four or $500. So he was like, Shannon, why don't you just move in and say that you're my roommate? <laughs> but he asked if he could use the den to, and he would take $300 off the rent. So it'd be like 700 bucks a month if he could store what they weren't able to consolidate yet in the den. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course you can. So a lot of his stuff was still there. So the suicide happened about a week and a half after I moved in the house, but it was not there. It was where his brother lived. It was his brother. Oh, I got so you. 
when the watch party, I organized the watch party the day it came out, but luckily I had watched it that morning. So I was going to their house to watch it. And I, I just told them, I was like, look, I told them what happened. I said, I don't want you to watch it. It's just, it's not what happened. I didn't say that stuff. I mean, they even, as a point, show the, su the suicide victim, as they called it, sitting on the edge of a bed and pulling the trigger and blowing mm -hmm. his brains out. It had nothing to do with that. So it was so disrespectful and hurtful to, to them because it, they were, it was very fresh. They were still dealing with it. You know, it came out a year after, I think, about a year, a couple of years after it happened. It was like close to the anniversary. So. Yeah, that's, that's, that's sad. I mean, I, I get, you got to do what you can, but when you're dealing with real people, you yeah. sometimes you have to take that stuff into consideration. So let's Definitely. talk after, after the show. So you, you move out of the house. What happened when you moved out? Where did you go? What happened afterwards? This is where it gets interesting. <laughs> okay. I moved out and I go to stay at my mom's. My mom's like, come stay with me. She's like, just put your notice in your rent's paid up, put your notice in. And so I, I had a sale. I had to come out in the house, dig through whatever you want. And I sold everything. And I went to stay at my mom's and I saved up to buy a camper. And so I paid cash for a camper, a little 27 foot camper. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, I did it. I, I made this happen. That way I could go anywhere. So I didn't feel stuck in a location. So the first place I put my camper, the first RV park, I thought it was eight days. My neighbor corrected me. It was two weeks. I was there two weeks total because as soon as I got there, I knew something was wrong. It didn't feel right. The energy was bad. I'm seeing like shadow figures in the tree lines. There's all kinds of crazy intense things happening. Well, Beth Allen is a good friend of mine and she came and stayed with me for a week there. And we were having all kinds of crazy stuff happen. But then I found out that the previous owner of the RV park shot and killed himself like less than a hundred yards from where my camper is. Oh, it gets way better. It gets way better. Well, not, not that that's better, but you know what I mean? I'm not, no I know what you mean. Him, but more, biz more bizarre. Oh, oh, but yes. So I'm like, there's, I mean, he, it's just, I can't even begin to tell you. And my neighbor was becoming suicide. It's like the S word, you know, it was just not good energy there. And Beth was even saying, you got to get out of here. Well, then someone put a bug in my ear about supposedly there was a serial killer on that land back in the eighties. So I did some research and come to find out that it was a hog farm and oh, kitty cat. it was a hog farm and also a like junkyard. It, I'm sorry, your cat's cute. He showed me his cat. <laughs> and but if, the I, guy if I don't really, grab him, he'll jump up on the laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. <laughs> but uh, the guy that had owned the pig farm and all that stuff, what he did was he was bringing in homeless people and making them think he was going to take care of them putting life insurance policies on them and then killing them and feeding them to the pigs. And I actually researched it and it did happen. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I didn't last there long at all. I was, I mean, the first place I feel I'm going to feel safe in was just going from one crazy bad situation to the next. So I was like, but that was when I felt really good that, Hey, I got my camper. I don't have to stay here. I can go. And so they moved out by the lake and it was a lot more peaceful there, but Yeah. That's that crazy. was an intense. Oh, it was crazy. I can't even tell you all the stuff that was happening. And my neighbors, they, yeah, it was a really quick hot mess that I was glad to walk away from. So, so what's life like with Shannon Rogers and an RV? Are you traveling like all the time? Are you staying anywhere very long? I actually, because I don't, it's a bumper pull. It's not a, it's not a, you know, an actual RV. 
I gone ahead, I was living in it. And then my converter went out and I had to get it replaced. But since winter was coming, I gone ahead and put it in storage. So it's sitting with under a metal building right now, which is very expensive to store. <laughs> but yeah. you know, through winter, I have a roommate now. Lauren Gonzalez is in the paranormal field. She's a great friend of mine and we get along great. So it's working out really good and it's helping her out. And, you know, we investigate together, but normal day in my life is, I mean, I, I bartend Monday and Tuesday. I work for a friend of mine out in Decatur, Texas, one to two days a week, you know, doing graphics and sign work. And the rest of the time I'm with my son or I'm on the road doing paranormal investigations, um, doing residentials. Um, I used to do a lot of events where I would host events. And I took a break after July 3rd on my birthday was the last event that I've done because I needed to take a break. And so I'm actually about to drop my, I'm going back into doing events. I'm about to drop my next event here in the next couple of weeks. So nice. How, how old is your son now? Um, my son is four. He'll be five in July. My daughter's 22. And I have a son they didn't even mention on there. He's 18. It's like, no, oh. <laughs> he's the introvert though. He, he didn't mind. <laughs> how, how has, we know how your kind of how your daughter was affected by all this. What about your son? Did it have any effect at all on him? The older one or the younger? Younger one. Oh man. This child, um, he sees stuff. He, I mean, it's, it's insane. He was seeing stuff there. He still does. He, like one day when I was going to work, I, you know, took my son to my mom and he was acting weird. My mom called me freaking out. So, the, you know, the monster followed mommy out the door and he was almost hyperventilating. I pulled up to a cemetery with him and he started trying to get out of his car seat saying that he wanted to go play ball, baseball with the kids. I mean, like really trying to rip it apart, was excited. And then Lauren and I looked at each other. I was collecting cemetery water to make tar water. <laughs> I do weird stuff. Nice. I do weird stuff. But I mean, I got him out of his car seat and let him, you know, run around a little bit. He was three and a half then. And he ran over to where he thought he saw the kids. And he's looking around. I go, well, baby, where are they? And he's like, well, they're everywhere, mom. I'm like, he does this stuff all the time. He talks about, <laughs> I mean, crazy. He told me the other day, he <laughs> Okay, I was in the bathroom and he, you know, he's four, he barges in. He was like, the people on the other side of the mirror are at the front door and who's buried under the building? It's like, I don't That's talk quite about, the sentence. <laughs> I don't talk about this stuff in front. No, I know. I don't talk about this stuff in front of him, but it's almost a daily thing that he's talking about stuff and it's just insane. So I had someone that was going to meet with him and mentor him a little bit, but travel arrangements have been kind of kind of the issue. And I'm also really careful with his age too. I don't want to plant anything in his head, but I want to be supportive at the same time. So I have to be really careful right. about what words are questioning certain things and not to make a big deal out of stuff. And, you know, we were at Waffle House and he's like, that guy on the roof is angry. He's talking about the ceiling. He was looking up. He's like, why is he angry, mom? And I'm like, <laughs> 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 yeah. but we knew at a young age that he, you know, was seeing things differently than I know kids are very you know receptive to certain things, but it's it's a little extra. <laughs> so <laughs> let me ask you this. So you, you were you were doing some paranormal investigating before you moved into that house and now you're doing it a lot more. What got you into the paranormal investigating to begin with? Had you had experiences earlier in life? Okay, so in 2011, I first walked through the doorway into the metaphysical. 
I thought I was just really, really super weird because nobody's supposed to feel, I just knew that people weren't supposed to feel what I felt, you know, felt so deeply, like energy, what people were thinking. And it was really bothering me. And I thought I was just different. And I remember crying one day and, and then that's when my ex, we were in the car and I was crying. It's like, I don't understand. Like, why am I experiencing all these things all the time? Why am I so, so emotional about feeling all this stuff? And then he gave me a book. It's called the law of attraction by Jerry and Esther Hicks. It, it was very life-changing for me. It helped me understand energy a lot and intent and perception. And so I met some people I've worked at a, I was a medical compliance officer in Colorado in the marijuana field. And one of my medical patients was very much into the metaphysical and she became my mentor and she started taking me to metaphysical classes. I learned how to do uh, past life regression therapy, um, really started training and understanding how energy and spirit work. So I had a really good foundation before I got into paranormal with uh, Liam's dad, my youngest is dad. We would had a couple of devices and we like went to the Arlington and hot springs that where we sit in the apartment and you know, play with um, spirit box. I didn't know what that was at the time, but I was really fascinated. And he was blown away by the interaction that uh, the conversations I was having. He was almost, he was a jerk, almost intimidated that I could have these conversations that were pretty solid, but you know. So then I left him, come back to Texas. And I got invited to go to Old Park Hotel to do an investigation. That was my first investigation with Chad Lindbergh. Well, that lit me on fire and I haven't stopped. <laughs> it's like, I mean, just like I, I was really amazed how what I was feeling, you could back it up with technology, you know, doing research, other people feeling what I felt, you know, and learning from other people. So it was like an avenue where I really felt just comfortable and something that I really found that I found a lot of passion and interest into. So, you know, it's, it's, I'm not the best at everything. I'm not the worst at everything, but it's, a journey for me because I want to understand my connection more and I'm more on the spirit side than I am the people side that I investigate. And Chad's awesome too. So I'm sure that was a great experience. Oh yeah. He's, he's, he's funny. <laughs> Actually, I won the raffle to stay the night there with him and it was pretty cool. Did he scream? <laughs> he was a little extra. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, I love that video out that where he was like, screaming when that voice talks to him and when he was yeah that's that one's hilarious but yeah that's back in his ghost stalker days yeah yeah exactly. uh, we we had him on the show oh, maybe three years ago and the first time i ever talked to him it was like we knew each other forever i mean he's just one of those kind of personable people that uh he's just fun to be around so well shannon i loved having you on the show this has been really fun and I love hearing your story. I love the episode. So if everybody, if you get a chance to check it out, now that you've heard the interview and you kind of know, eh, you can believe some of it and some of it you can't, it still doesn't take away from, from the terror that you actually had in that house. And the emotion, the emotion that you showed in the episode told how real the situation was. So I, I, I want to say that I'm sorry that you had to go through all that. I'm glad you came out on the other side and I'm glad that your family's okay. Well, thank you. And good did come out of it all in the end because it's like, it, it drove me down an avenue that I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for all those experiences. So 
I'm grateful for it. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like, you know, the old saying that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And sometimes that's accurate. It's not always accurate, but (laughs) most of the time, (laughs) most of the time. It, it, it can actually work for you. But thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. You have been super nice to to us and the show. And uh, it's been a pleasure with all the talking that I've had to do with you. And I can't wait to see what your future holds. I know uh, you're going to uh, I'll give you a chance to plug this real quick. Uh, some buddies of ours at the uh, the Shadow Initiative, um, you know, Stephen and, and Rick Hale, they, you know, have been on the show a couple of times. I've been on their show. You're going to be on their show. So uh, I'll let everybody know if they want to see some good video footage that uh, of Shannon. She'll be on the Shadow Initiative here uh, coming up really soon. So by the time this airs, you will have done it. So Gotcha. <laughs> so awesome. Thank you, Shannon, for coming on. I appreciate it. Is there anything you need to plug or how can people keep um, up with everything that Shannon Rogers I have my website, which is where I put all my events and stuff like that. And you kind of could see what we've done and who we've worked with. It's at www.paranormalexplorationsofamerica.com. I know it's kind of big. Or just look me up on Facebook. It's honestly the easiest because I have, you know, links on everything there. It's if you look up Shannon M. like my middle initial, Shannon M. Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S. You send me a friend request, just send me a message to let me know because they get lost in there because, you know, it's in the field. We want to friend everybody. So that way I know that you're sending it. And I love meeting new people, working with new people and, you know, networking and gaining relationships. So awesome. Thank you so much, Shannon. I appreciate it and look forward to maybe doing an event with you in the future. Oh, absolutely. It'd be great. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much. Hope you guys have been enjoying these interviews that we've had for you lately. We've had a rash of really good ones. Mm-hmm. So now I've got my um, work cut out for me to keep trying to top these and get the same kind of <laughs> effort in there. So, But uh, thank you so much. We appreciate you guys for everything you do for us. Yeah, and we hope you all have a blessed week. Happy spring. Yeah. Hope Mother Nature don't trip and make it. Two degrees tomorrow, but you never know. She's kind of a biatch sometimes. Yeah, so Mother Nature is unpredictable. Very true. Very true. Unless you're Nostradamus. He does a good <laughs> job of predicting that. Well, y'all, y'all have a blessed week. We love you guys. Take care. All right. Thank you, guys.